It's time for your NBA fix. This is the Big Show Daily Assist. Featuring all the latest news and insight on the association. Now joining the Big Show. Senior NBA writer for Sports Illustrated, Howard Beck. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. It is the Big Show. Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Gordon off. He will be back coming up next week. But right now, let's get out to the Smart Rain special guest line. Joining us now, of course, uh, senior NBA writer for Sports Illustrated. He is our friend Howard Beck. Howard, how are you? Doing well, Jake. Thanks. How are you? Hey, I'm doing great. Thanks for jumping on with us today and doing a little uh, wrap-up uh, of the season. We really appreciate it. Uh, Want to get your thoughts. Bucks are champs. What do you think? I think they're obviously worthy champs. Giannis, a worthy finals MVP. And I think at the end of this second consecutive strange pandemic-warped season, we got a legit championship. We got a great finals. Um, and, and a legit champion. I mean, you know, it, it's funny to, to kind of think back about everything that the league has been through and even everything that the Bucks have been through and their path here. And I think at the end of it all, you know, it's just encouraging that, you know, we got a, a, a really competitive finals that had some incredible performances, you know, Giannis especially, but, you know, Devin Booker clearly had his moments and is a rising star in this league. And he got to showcase himself. The Suns got to showcase themselves as, as uh, you know, a story that we talked about many times during the season. One of the, the, the just great surprise success stories of, of this season. Um, but in the end, you know, look, the Bucks they had the best player on the floor. And they have a guy in Giannis who some people now consider best player in the world. I'm not ready to go there quite yet, but he's in the conversation for sure. And he was fantastic. And, it was just, I thought, a really enjoyable finals from start to finish. And the, the, the Bucks, um, they earned it. They, they, they really earned it. And it was good to see a team, especially in a small market, that went all in, that traded everything they could to get Drew Holiday, that made a deal midseason for P.J. Tucker, that was fully committed to you know, getting Giannis in a position where he could contend and win immediately. And then to see this team kind of overcome some of their own ghosts and, and, you know, recent missteps to, uh, to pull it all together and, and win it all. It was, it was just a fabulous run. I'm with you, Howard. I, I think the finals totally exceeded expectations. I thought the games were good. I thought the storylines that developed were great. And um, at least for me personally, I, it was fun to get to know Giannis a little bit better. Um, you, you know, I'm, I'm thinking of his, the answer to Sam Amick, uh, our mutual friend's question, and uh, he'd talk about, uh, you know, ego and pride and how he tries to operate. I, I really enjoyed getting to know him a little bit better with those videos, with the nuggets and how he wanted just 50. I mean, hilarious stuff. But, uh, of course, people are talking about him being the face of the league. And is that going to happen? And I kind of think, well, the NBA would be lucky if it did. I think at any given time, you know, we we focus sometimes on a single individual, Jordan in the 90s, LeBron for much of the last, you know, decade plus, you know, Kobe for a time. Um, But it's, it's, it's rarely one guy. I mean, there's often one guy who feels like 
is, is the face of that generation because they've got the most finals, the most championships, the most MVPs, maybe sometimes just the most popularity, whatever it may be. But it's usually a group, right? Like, it was Magic and Bird, and Isaiah was in there somewhere, and then, and then it was Jordan, but, but it was Jordan while Magic and Bird were still part of that, that, that crew as well. It's always a collection. Even when Shaq and Kobe were winning three straight, you know, nobody wanted to th- talk about Tim Duncan as face of the league because they thought of him as being too dull of a personality. But th- there are always multiple guys who are representing um, like, like the face of the league. It, it's, it's and so right now, you know, LeBron's in his uh, presumed twilight. But look, he, he was. <laughs> He was still the, the leading candidate, or at least a leading candidate, for MVP at the time he went down midseason with an injury. And if he's healthy and he's still playing at that level, but he was playing at an MVP level. So LeBron is still there. And Kawhi Leonard is now hurt, but Kawhi is, is there. Steph Curry just had a phenomenal season. He's part of the face of the league. Joel Embiid, who obviously you know finished high in the MVP race, is there. Giannis is there. Luka, who just had an incredible performance uh, for Slovenia in the Olympics, and had a fantastic season for the Mavericks, he's there and not going anywhere anytime soon because he's the youngest of everybody we're talking about. So, um, you know, is Giannis the face of the league? He's a face of the league. And and if LeBron were to retire, say, after next season, um, you, you're going to have a, a multi-way race. And then it's going to be, well, is it, is it Steph on longevity or is Steph already yesterday's news? And so we're going to focus on it's, it's Giannis and Luka and Embiid. By the way, three international players who might be the, the co-faces of the league, um, which is uh, just a phenomenal development in, in the NBA's uh, evolution. Um, it, it could go any number of ways, but Giannis is part of it, and I think people getting to see all of Giannis, his humility, his sense of humor, uh, his humanity along the way, I think is all great you know, for him and for fans and, and for the case for him to be face of the league because – I think people have a better sense of him and can relate to him that much more. What happens to the Suns now, Howard? Uh, what, what is I don't I don't know if you're hearing anything, but what does Chris Paul decide to do? And uh, do you think they, you know, what's the likelihood of them being back to contenders or in the finals next year? This is a really big test for Robert Sarver, the owner of the Suns. He has been throughout his tenure as the Suns owner uh, known to be kind of a penny pincher. Uh, he's made a lot of cost-saving moves over the years that have hurt the Suns from year to year. And Chris Paul has, has earned, you know, a, a, another massive payday, though he is whatever, 36, 37. Um, it's a tough bet to make because guys don't play at an elite level this deep into their 30s, especially as smaller guards, but he still is, and he's still obviously a difference maker. And, uh, you know, he is a linchpin to that team. You know, their heart of that team is still Devin Booker, and Aiton and Bridges and then Cam Johnson, some of the other young guys, but Chris Paul pulled it all together. And and that was very clear. And if you were to let him walk, uh, if you couldn't come to agreement on a deal, he's not easily replaced um, by any stretch. And you do need a point guard. You know, Devin Booker is a great ball handler and playmaker on his own, but he, he, he needs to be the secondary playmaker. They need a great point guard next to him. And there aren't, you know, a ton of those. There's, There's plenty of good point guards, but, there aren't that many Chris Pauls. Um, so this will be a big test for Robert Sarver and that franchise in, 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 to keep him. That said, I cannot imagine any scenario in which Chris Paul would want to leave or why the Suns would want him to leave. So I think they will find a way to, to, to make a deal and, and keep him. You know, Chris Paul lives in L.A., so he's less than an hour from home. 
His family's there. Why would he want to go any further away? You know, rumors of like the Knicks and everything don't make much sense. He was just, he finally made the finals after this fabulous career that was missing, you know, not only a championship, but even a finals appearance. Well, he made it and he's with a team that if he stays with them and plays at the same level and those young guys all continue to make strides, they can get back there again. So I don't see why he would give that up to go anywhere else. I, I, I'm working under the assumption that Chris Paul is back in Phoenix and that Phoenix is a contender, but that race is, is you know, gotten, we're, it will get more crowded again, right? The Lakers I mean, presumably will be back to full strength and will be in the mix. The Clippers, maybe not if Kawhi Leonard might move, miss the whole season, but the Nuggets will get Jamal Murray back some point, point during the season. They're in the mix. The Jazz are in the mix. Uh, the Warriors with a healthy Clay Thompson and maybe some other moves, I think, are back in the mix. So it, it's it's going to be a crowded race atop the West. No guarantee for the Suns, but certainly, you know, as long as Chris Paul is there, they're in the mix. So as you know, the Jazz are in a in a similar situation with Mike Conley. Um, you know, ownership here, Ryan Smith uh, and his group have. have you know, in various ways expressed that he is a priority to bring back to this team and he appears willing to, you know, spend whatever to make that happen. The other kind of more subtle offseason uh, kind of rumor mill, I guess, for the Jazz, Howard, has been there's been uh, various reports out there that the Jazz may be uh, willing to move Joe Ingles or Boyan Bogdanovich. What kind of value do you think other than uh, those, maybe those two guys uh, can, can bring if they end up being traded? And could that be a way for the Jazz to improve going into next year? Well, on the Conley thing, <clears throat> similar to, you know, the Suns and, and Chris Paul, <clears throat> I think Conley, you know, really found his stride with the Jazz. It's a nice it's a nice fit. I think it's, it's been good for all parties. Obviously, a bumpy first season with them for a variety of reasons. But, um, it, you know, I, I, he makes sense there. Um, what's the cost? And, and and what does that do? What's the ripple effects on the rest of the payroll? And does that then require maybe moving Ingles or Bogdanovich? Um, what can you get for those guys? I mean, I, that's really – it's always really hard to say. They're both really valuable players. I mean, you know, you you know how, how big of a premium is placed on shooting and especially, you know, bigger wings who can shoot. And in, in Ingles' case, also, you know, a guy who can, you know, really serve as a secondary playmaker or even a primary playmaker with your second team. Um, those guys have value. Um, what's the goal, though? What are you trying to do, you know, in terms of retooling? Because their strength was not just efficient three-point shooting, but volume three-point shooting was, you know, being able to just bury opponents um, with their scoring and then obviously defend at the other end. And, and if you're going to lose a little bit of, of the shooting, um, what are you trading it for? What are you What are you looking to do? I'm not sure what shape you know, that they're, that they're trying to get into um, in terms of reformatting the roster. It's a strong group. I think maybe they hit their ceiling, but, you know, short of getting another, you know, elite score, um, I don't know how you break through that ceiling. And, may, and maybe it's just, again, internal improvement. Maybe it's the next, just another step from Donovan Mitchell. But um, the Jazz will be, you know, worth watching this offseason to see how they retool. 
Yeah, I think it's interesting because the Clipper matchup was a tough one for the Jazz. They obviously uh, had a tough time responding and lost four consecutive, not unlike Phoenix just did. Um, but uh, that, you know, the 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 long, rangy, defend multiple positions, switch everything, those types of teams, the Jazz have been you know vulnerable to that for several years now. And I, I just wonder, if they were healthy, would that have been a problem this year? Because it wasn't at times during the regular season? Or is it some, or is it still a, a fundamental flaw in the roster I mean I, I think that's an interesting debate back and forth yeah I mean it's interesting to think about who we just saw in the finals right because you know on, on your show I've talked many times about you know this admittedly reductive model for winning championships in the NBA but it's kind of true usually you've got two top 10 top 15 type players and maybe a third one if, you're, if you've got a super team and if you've got two of those guys you're in business, right? If you've got LeBron and Anthony Davis, if you've got Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, though they haven't gotten there yet, um, that's usually the model. And in the case of Donovan Mitchell, Rudy Gobert, even if Rudy Gobert is, is top 15, he's not that typical do-everything, you know, two-way player, offensive creator. It's usually the guys who are, like, big-time scorers. It's, it's not usually a guy who's just an elite defensive player. And so – and yeah, I understand that obviously Rudy Gobert does a lot for them offensively, all that stuff, but it's not the same as two guys who just put the ball in their hands and they can go manufacture out of thin air, like LeBron and Anthony Davis, LeBron and Dwayne Wade, Kevin Durant and Steph Curry. You know, um, the one-two punches in the NBA tend to be offensive one-two punches. So going and getting that guy is difficult to get the second guy. On the other hand, you know, did the Bucks truly have that? I mean, they kind of did. You know, Chris Middleton is a guy who could go drop 40 and, and did. Um, he's, you know, I, I've said many times I didn't think he was at the level of, of say, you know, a Paul George as a second guy as a wingman. But, heck, he just showed it in the finals that at times – and that's the thing, Chris Middleton's maddening that way, right? Like there are games where he seems to disappear or is very quiet. So I still am not sure I want to put him on that tier. But did, were the, did the Bucks have that traditional model that I'm talking about? You could argue not. You could just say that, you know, they had Giannis best player in the league this year, perhaps, or at least best player, obviously, in the playoffs, and two really great high-level supporting players in Middleton and Drew Holiday. And the Suns made the finals with, you know, an all-star in Devin Booker, a late-career Hall of Famer, Chris Paul, but again, not the traditional one-two punch either. So maybe it's possible to, to do it a different way. Howard Beck is with us, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. We were talking about Rudy a little bit. Rudy had a big win over Team USA. What did you think about France winning? And, you know, I don't want to say they blew him out because they certainly didn't, but uh, but they, they look pretty good doing it. Yeah, I missed most of the game while trying to figure out how the heck to watch it. I just assumed yeah. it was going to be on NBC <laughs> or one of the other, you know, options. Oh, wait, I got a good Peacock. Oh, wait, I have Peacock. Oh, wait, you want me to subscribe to Peacock? Oh, for Lord. Yeah. So I, it just, it, <laughs> by the time I finally pulled it up, I think we were down to a little, like, you know, the the fourth quarter. Uh, and those those Olympic games, those international games go by quickly with those shorter quarters. Um, so I saw Team USA just kind of come apart, you know, down the stretch. And, you know, France, obviously, just a, a great shot-making team and, and really efficient. And um, they looked strong. Um, they, they, they looked good. Uh, you know, whether that's more about them or more about Team USA being kind of uh, just, you know, in a state of disarray at the moment, is, it's hard to say. Yeah, I mean, is Popovich, I guess, uh, you know, how big a job is this going to be to get to that uh, that medal? It seems like he's got a, a lot of work to do to figure stuff out. 
Yeah, I mean, look, it, it doesn't help that they had such a short training camp together that they didn't even have all their guys. And then some of the guys they had, they lost. You know, Bradley Beal all of a sudden has to withdraw. Kevin Love withdraws. You know, three key players were in the finals and just, just got to them at like 1 a.m. the day that they were playing France um, with, with Middleton, Holiday, and Booker. So, um, it, you know, it, not to mention how many guys that they didn't bring in the first place. And I know it's easy to say, oh, well, you know, it's, you've still got a roster of all NBA players. No other team in, in the world at the Olympics can say that. And so you should just blow everybody out by based on talent alone, but it's not that simple. Like cohesion matters and continuity matters and having guys together a little time to, to kind of feel each other out and settle on roles. I mean, even in the NBA, you know, you talk about it all the time, you know, when you put a bunch of talented guys together, whether it's a super team or whether it's just adding guys to an existing contender, you have to define roles and figure out how to play together and get in a rhythm with each other, like chemistry, all these things we talk about all the time. Well, for Team USA, it, it's, it, they haven't had that time, and they haven't figured out those roles, and there's, you know, they're having to do this on the fly. So the good news for them is the next game is against Iran, who they should beat handily, and maybe that's a, a, a good tune-up um, to kind of get themselves uh, on track and in sync. And they'll have had that much more time for especially the three guys who just got there from the finals, Middleton, Holiday, and Booker, to have that much more time to acclimate to the time zone as well as their teammates and, and maybe just catch their breath. How much is motivation a factor? Because Gordon and I talked about this a little bit uh, last week. We have Joe Ingles on the station on our morning show uh, every week. And the last uh, couple of weeks, he's talked about, you know, uh, going to play in the Olympics and those sorts of things. And you can tell it means the world to him, right? I mean, he, he says he, he would not have missed this uh, opportunity. They have never meddled. Uh, that's been his goal his entire time he's played for Team Australia. I mean, you can tell this means the world to him. And with, with Team USA, it's a, it's a different dynamic, right? Because you're expected to wax all these teams and uh, you know it's not quite the us against the world type of mentality because you are the team that's uh, targeted and the favorite in every game heavy favorite in every game and I could understand why maybe the motivation is a little bit lacking for those types of players but how do you think motivation plays in that's hard to say I mean it's it's such a hard thing to, to you know, the psychology of it it's hard, it's hard to, to kind of make two big of an assumption about i mean the u.s has won a gazillion gold medals in, in men's basketball but not all the players on this roster have so you'd think well they're, they're they'd be motivated to continue to to sustain um and, and pr protect the legacy of, of their predecessors right they, that that should be important to them on the other hand it has become clear over the years that you know winning olympic gold you know for Australia to do that, that's a, a huge accomplishment. If France does that, it's a huge accomplishment. For some of these te these, these teams, um, because they're smaller countries, because they're, they've had been you know playing basketball at a high level for a, a shorter span of time, because they have fewer NBA players on their roster, whatever, to win it is a, considered a bigger accomplishment and, and a ma massive point of national pride. I, I wonder if you were to pull all NBA players – you know, the ones who were born in the U.S. and the ones who were born elsewhere, I wonder how they would answer 
the question that was posed to Luka Doncic uh, over the last day or so, which was, what's more meaningful, you know, an NBA championship or Olympic gold? And Doncic said he, that winning gold for Slovenia would be a bigger thing. And I think most NBA players who are U.S. born, I think, would probably say NBA championship. And I, I don't know if that would be the case for all the international players. And, and does that factor into the results on the court? You know, maybe. Um, again, hard to say. All right, Howard, this is the last thing before we uh, we let you go, and I'm, I'm going to channel my inner Gordon here because he always likes to compliment you and say, <laughs> oh, you know, Howard, you're you're so thoughtful, and uh, just like to, to get your thoughts on these thoughtful things. You know, we we love Gordon. But I, I do want to ask you this because this is the last time we're going to have you on for a minute, and it's been great having you on for the last year and a half all the way through this unique journey, and you've been so generous with your time and your perspective and, you know, playing NBA basketball during a pandemic is has been crazy right and and the next time we talk to you you know things will be somewhat normal right i don't know about societally but you know the schedule will be back on track of you know we're talking about 82 games you know hope we're hoping for some normal so with that in mind how did the nba do over the last year and a half navigating this when when we look back in history how will we uh remember the behavior and the performance of the national basketball association I think on balance, we'll consider, we'll, we'll view the NBA as having done an incredible job in keeping this thing together. You know, they were able to finish last season and crown a champion. They were able to finish this season and crown a champion. There were certainly hitches along the way and a lot of challenges. But I, I, I think on the whole, you know, whether it's their COVID protocols and the way that they managed it, the way they managed, you know, individual crises along the way, including having to, you know, postpone that flurry of games in January. I think more often than not, they made the right decision. I don't think all the decisions were correct. And I think they were given too much credit at the beginning for being the first major sports league to shut down after, after Rudy Gobert's positive test. Like if it wasn't Rudy, it was going to be somebody else. And shutting down was the only rational thing to do. So I, I think people have praised them for that as some, you know, you know, progressive, you know, proactive move, but I think it was just what they had to do as much as what they, you know, decided to do. So, but that's not a critique. That's just to say that I, I think, you know, we'll, we'll look back and, and do some of these things in a slightly different uh, prism, but um, I think they've done a really good job. And I, I, I think they have been a leader overall, and I think they've been assertive in the way that they have managed this pandemic and trying to protect their players and their personnel. Uh, it's been difficult for them. Obviously they've lost, you know, hundreds of millions in revenue, uh, whether it's from TV or from gate receipts. Um, but, you know, as long as they come through this financially, okay. And next year is back to an 82 game season. I, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll look at it and go, wow, that was, that was pretty impressive. Um, no, no major controversies along the way. No major scandals involved, you know, that, that concerned the pandemic and their management of it. Um, my only last thought on it is this. You know, I, I think the last thing that Michelle Roberts, the, the union uh, executive director, has said, I think she last pegged it at 90 percent vaccination among NBA players. I really hope they're closer to 100 percent, if not at 100 percent, to start next season. Because with the Delta variant and other variants coming behind it, and we're already seeing, you know, the NFL is having to take some pretty strict measures and NFL players pushing back. I hope the NBA as a collective is, is 
is better than that. Um, and, you know, whether they'll re- have a similar requirement, I don't know. But my hope would be that voluntarily the NBA players would all get vaccinated and that, you know, we can all look forward to an uninterrupted, um, complete, normal season <laughs> starting in the fall. Fingers crossed, Howard. I'm cur- You can't see me, but my fingers are currently crossed hoping uh, absolutely hoping for that and hey hey listen thank you so much for uh, not only coming on today of course but uh, your voice on our show throughout the season we are so fortunate to, to have you on and and just hope you know we we appreciate it and i don't often speak for gordon but i know he he thinks that as well so thank you so much howard we appreciate you no i i appreciate you guys just as much and uh thank you it's always a pleasure love talking to you guys every week and appreciate the time and and, uh, look forward to resuming in the fall. Thanks, Howard. You're the best. Howard Beck, our good friend from Sports Illustrated. So great to join us. He normally joins us on Fridays. Uh, because of uh, the 24th of July, he was nice enough to uh, to jump on with us on a Monday, even though I hope he's into his offseason and doing something fun. But honestly, he's probably covering the draft and summer leagues and you know, never taking any time off. The NBA season never ends. Uh, in fact, I love the NBA offseason, as uh, most of our listeners out there know. I find it absolutely fascinating. And we talked to Howard about uh, the Jazz offseason. It's it's going to be interesting to, to see what they do. I expect to move on draft night. I do not expect the Jazz to make the 30th pick. Just my not um, going on inside information, just looking at the logic of it. I don't think they want another guaranteed contract. And so I would guess that they're going to move off it unless they move up. They could move up. You never know. So off-season coverage here on uh, the zone uh, of the Jazz, of course, will be ongoing. Um, Summer League coming up right around the corner. But a fun conversation with our friend Howard Beck. Uh, We will get to more big show coming up next. We do have a not sports report at 450, so stay tuned for that. Greg Rubel, uh, voice of the Cougars, will join the show coming up at the top of the 5 o'clock hour. It is the big show. Gordon off on vacation. Uh, He'll be back coming up next. Next week, Pac-12 Media Day coming up tomorrow uh, right here on uh, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. We want to remind you uh, about our good friends at uh, Syringa Networks. Working from home or with a hybrid workforce, get a powerful IT partner. Syringa Networks, call 385-420-7881 or visit syringanetworks.net. We'll have more Big Show coming up next, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Every day on The Big Show. Gordon and Jake want to keep you up to date on all the action, all the newsmakers, and all the big opinions on the Zone Sports Network. This is What's Going On on 97.5-1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Big show, Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Happy Monday to everybody out there. It is time for What's Going On, where we check in with the other shows on the Zone Sports Network. It is brought to you today by our friends at Davis Vision. The Davis Vision Summer LASIK Sale is going on now. Get rid of those contacts and glasses and save $1,000. Start your road to better vision at Davis Vision. Check them out at davisvisionmd.com or call today 801-253-3080. That's 801 801- one two five three thirty eighty let's move on to dj and pk uh of course conference expansion is the biggest story in sports today just huge texas and oklahoma uh telling the uh, big 12 they're opting out of their grant of rights agreement which is four years away by the way 
Four years. Can you imagine how awkward it is if Texas and Oklahoma play the next four years in the Big 12, which isn't going to happen, by the way. We can get into that more in a uh, in a different segment. But uh, it, I, it was awkward when Utah was still with the Mountain West for a year. Can you imagine four years of that? Like, oh, jeez. Anyway, they're going to pay whatever they got to pay, and they're going to bounce. That's going to happen. But let's check in with DJ and PK talking conference expansion. Your mom was right before her time. She beat all the college football recruiters on the SEC story. She was famous for saying, money loves money. And now Oklahoma and Texas send the letter to the Big 12 on the grant of rights. They are preparing to jump to the SEC. Money loves money, and Oklahoma and Texas love the SEC. She was right. Well, uh, also for myself here, I have sent a letter to our organization that I will renew my grant of rights. <laughs> yes. I think that's a good thing for most employees in the U.S. to send, you know. And I love money, money too. So <laughs> hopefully there'll be more of it down the line. There you go. I like the way you think. <laughs> yes, it's very important. So you are a PAC. Not, you're not a PAC-8 guy because Arizona and Arizona State got into the and made it the PAC-10 but Correct. the Pac-10, that gives you three and a half, no, four going on four and a half decades of equity in the league. And basically, that makes you a lifelong fan. So I'm curious, you look at eight of the teams, and you know the game now. Either those eight stick together and bring in two or four more teams, or those eight cut deals and try to jump to other conferences. And realistically, those eight are going to try and do both things at the same time. As a Pac-12 lifer, any of those eight excites you? I don't know if they excite me. I don't know that the Pac-12 needs to expand just because the SEC is, because you're never going to chase down the SEC to begin with. Right. So why go and try to do something that you don't want to do? And if you want to do it, that's an entirely different story. But, I mean, I don't go to Hawaii. I heard you talking to Ryan there. Just because Texas and Oklahoma go in the SEC doesn't mean the Pac-12 need to go to Hawaii just to get some games on at 2 in the morning back east that no one's going to be paying attention to anyway. Uh, so I don't know about that, but you investigate, you investigate everything. Sure. Yeah. The thing that I'm more concerned about from the PAC 12 perspective is not necessarily expanding. I mean, Oklahoma state to me is something that is worthwhile. Then you check out TCU, you check out Texas tech, uh, obviously Kansas basketball is really good. Kansas state football has had a decent program and a lot of different program sports, I should say. So and you would see that, but yeah. You, you have to, to me, the bigger concern for the Pac-12 is the, not from the expansion fallout, but the fallout potentially of other programs saying, hey, wait a second here. I mean, SUSC, do they fall further behind, revenue speaking, as the SEC becomes so dominant? And basically, the SEC is a super league now in terms of having like Kevin Durant join the Warriors and yep. we know what happened there yeah. when they did that. So now do the, does anybody really pay attention or how much attention do they pay beyond Clemson and uh, Ohio state outside of the ACC? And so in that regard, does the PAC 12 fall further behind? And so does SC say, Hey, wait a second. Does uh, Washington, does Oregon, you know, what are the, the, power brokers so to speak of the pac-12 do as far as that goes and what what does the eight remaining of the big 12 what do they do do they because there's been all sorts of talk it's been out there for a long time now of going and poach the arizonas 
and what what type of deal can they set up? Because if they can strengthen or fortify themselves, does that weaken the Pac-12 even more? So I don't look at it as far as the Pac-12 expanding. I look about uh, maybe uh, reducing teams and what do these others who have options do if they want to use these options? That's interesting. Reducing teams, invite a couple people to leave the party. That isn't how college sports has worked. But it is also pretty easy to look and say, you know, which teams bring the least value. And thanks for playing. The door's on your right. Yeah, to me, you know, uh, on uh, what was it? uh, When did it happen? On Thursday when the news came. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I was off that day, although I I was housebound. We were having carpet put in. And so it was a six-hour project. So I couldn't go anywhere. I had to stay there. And so I fired up the satellite and listened to all these national shows, spent all that time and also was preparing for uh, the media day that we're having here and uh, went through every team, did deep, even deeper dives. Uh, I still have Washington State and Oregon State left, but I did deeper dives than I normally do on 10 Pac-12 teams. So listening to just a whole bunch of uh, people, the the things that they're concerned about from the Pac-12 is not necessarily adding teams, but if teams leave. So this, and, and I don't think you can understate this. I think this has the potential to be the greatest, uh, how can I say this, uh, earth shattering college football news that we've had since, uh, what was it? Uh, when did they decide that uh, TV contracts could be divvied up way back when I think that, you know, that was a big thing. And 80s. I think this, yeah, in the eighties. Right. And this has the potential to be bigger because this is just two teams potentially two athletic programs potentially moving but i think the fallout is going to be far far greater than simply two teams moving from one conference to another so and i think a lot of people listening agree with that and they can see how any of those other eight teams might be on the move or how those eight teams might be trying to bring in two to four teams but your point is yes yes but expand beyond that you know, and the the Big Ten is the second most valuable league. And they are thinking, how do we keep up with the SEC? And if they really think outside the box, because there was a time when 12, 14, and 16-team leagues were unthinkable. And now they are thinkable. But if they're going to expand and add teams, USC and Oregon are two huge brands. If you wanted four teams, I think USC, UCLA, Oregon, and Washington – so as you listen to all those shows, did they get into specifics? Would it be more? Would it be six or eight teams to have a division out west and make it a massive TV contract? What are they thinking? Uh, yes to basically everything there. I mean, literally everything, as you just said, is on the table. So, yeah, I, they're not necessarily going down uh, road number one, two, or three. They're going down all of them to see what is going on. I mean, this is a crazy time. Now, this news was just explosive beyond explosive, right? It dominated uh, college sports and will continue to do so. Uh, It it is so crazy 
David James Snickeldorf III. You know that song that it never rains in Southern California? It yep. is raining in Southern California as we speak. Well, so they when need that it. happens, <laughs> when that happens, you know that this is a weird, weird world in which we live. So all of those things are out there. And I can't pinpoint A, B, or C because everything is available right now. Because the Big 12, or excuse me, the Big 10 has at least their ballpark being able to keep up with the SEC. You know, I'm not sure the other conferences are now, especially. They couldn't right. before, and they're certainly not going to now, you know, if this thing comes to pass and in whichever configuration that it does. And we know they sent the letter this morning, but there's still opportunities for them to stay if they get more money or what have you. But this is the first step. It certainly looks that direction. And we've got a few years, depending. And then you told me years ago, I can. I was thinking of you the other day, well, they're not going to get out until 24, 25. Yeah, but everything is negotiable. Right. So, you know, three, four years could be three, four months, and they could be playing in 20, what's it, 21? They could be playing in 2022 for all we know. So, yeah, I think all of these athletic pro, uh, conferences are going to have to figure out what's best for them. And then individual schools are going to have to figure out what's best for them. And, you know, we, we wouldn't have thought that it's just a smaller level, the implosion of whack football or the implosion of big East football. Who's to say that there's not one of these power five conferences that doesn't exist the way we know it in a year from now. Yeah. There is DJ and PK conference expansion, of course, uh, biggest story out there today. Want to remind you about our friends at Syringa Networks. If you're working from home or with a hybrid workforce, get a powerful IT partner. Syringa Networks, call 385-420-7881 or visit syringanetworks.net. More next on The Big Show, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Check this out. And now you're not sports report on 97.5, 1280 The Zone. And the Zone Sports Network. An old cowboy went riding out one dark and windy day. The Big Show, Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5 and 1280, The Zone. It is time for the Not Sports Report. Yes, even when Gordon is not here, trying to sandwich in. The Not Sports Report. Uh, but first, it is time to get a winner for the Chevy Strong Play of the Game. Be Caller 12 right now, 855-340-ZONE. Correctly identify the Chevy Strong Play of the Game announced by DJ and PK this morning at 850, and you'll win a Zone prize pack. It's the Chevy Strong Play of the Game brought to you by your Rocky Mountain Chevy dealers only here on the Zone Sports Network. So 855-340-ZONE, 855-340-ZONE. Zone. As I mentioned, it is time for the Not Sports Report, brought to you by the LHM Used Car Supermarket. Over 1,000 used vehicles in inventory. Shop online, lhmusedcars.com. All right, we're going to Florida today. Always good stories uh, coming out of Florida. Uh, but how about this? A Florida man, this is from Yahoo News, a Florida man washed ashore inside a bubble-like vessel on Saturday morning after an apparent attempt to walk on water. Uh, uh, let's see here. Flagler County deputies reported to calls from concerned citizens who spotted a strange vessel, a vessel on the beach in the hammock area. 
the sheriff's department said the vessel's sole occupant was discovered safe inside without any injuries. He told authorities he had set off for New York from St. Augustine before encountering complications that uh, brought him back to shore. Um, this guy uh, uh, told uh, the Fox affiliate down there in Orlando he was attempting to run his floating bubble vessel vessel from Florida to Bermuda or travel north up the coast to raise money for charity. Oh, how about that? Very charitable. He said this, quote, My goal is not only to raise money for homeless people, raise money for the Coast Guard, raise money for the police department, raise money for the fire department. They are in public service. They do it for safety and they help other people, unquote. This is my favorite part of the story where it says this guy has been rescued several times in previous years after setting off inside hydro bubbles. Doesn't this, uh, I, I don't know if this dude's uh, number one motivation is, is raising money or this dude might be, you know what it is. This is, this guy is an entrepreneur. I take it back. I was about to criticize this dude, but you know what this guy is? This guy is an entrepreneur. He's thinking, I've got a brilliant idea. I've got a bubble and I'm going to be able to walk to Bermuda. Let's do it. But uh, I just don't know. Like, some ideas are worth hanging on to. Some ideas are worth letting go. This might be one to let go. Or at very least, maybe you should start the company, get an R&D department, you know, uh, do it safely. Maybe maybe that's a good thing. Make it a, I don't know, is there a market for uh, bubbles where you can walk uh, great distances via sea? How hard would it be to walk to Bermuda? Would it take you longer or shorter than it would be if it were dry land? Right? Probably move a little bit faster maybe depending on uh, if the bubble had fins on it or something but uh this this overall seems like a really bad idea to me but my favorite part of the story is that he's tried it multiple times you know you know the coast guard's like oh yeah we know this guy he's been rescued several times we've had to save this guy's life it's old barry again what's this guy's name shouldn't uh shouldn't slander berries let's see here uh reza balucci you see the Coast Guard. Oh, Reza's at it again. The crazy bubble guy trying to walk to New York. What a genius. I don't know. I don't think this uh, his sole idea is making money. Might be a little crazy. Uh, maybe, I, I don't know, you raise money. For, he's got a bunch of causes. Don't you need to pick a cause and focus? You want to do the homeless, the police, the fire department, the Coast Guard, everybody. I'm going to walk to New York and raise millions for everybody. I don't know if that's your motivation, pal. But uh, this wasn't his first failure. Also, how about the the people who called police? Uh, let's see. Let me let me see this part of the story. Let's see. Uh, <clears throat> deputies responded calls from concerned citizens who spotted a strange vessel on the beach in the hammock area. And you see this uh, this guy walking down the beach with a bubble. Hey, what is this not doing? Call call the police. It's like the it's like the um, the guy who was using the flamethrower to weed his garden in Brian Head. And if you if you go and, and listen to the 911 call, it says, this idiot's going to burn down Brian Head. And tragically, that's exactly what he did. But, yeah, this is one of those situations where you call 911 and be like, hey, Mr. Uh, Bubble Boy Bellucci is headed to the water again. Get the Coast Guard. Got to get him out before he hurts himself. Yeah. So, all right, there you go. There's your not sports report, I hope. Uh, that I did Gordon very proud uh, because uh, this is his wheelhouse. Um, coming up next, we're going to talk some BYU football. Of course, uh, conference expansion continues to be 
the red hot topic of the day and uh, nationally as well as locally. The voice of the Cougars, Greg Rubel, is going to join the show coming up next. We'll get his thoughts on, uh, of course, where BYU fits in this evolving situation of conference uh, realignment once again and uh, also uh, camp right around the corner. So we'll get Greg's thoughts on the quarterback race and what to expect from this BYU team uh, going into what I think is is a really fascinating, challenging, interesting schedule where uh, this this is this has the potential to be a lot of fun. This has the potential really overall, I mean, talking BYU and Utah, to be a great football season. I'm excited. Now after what a challenging season last year was, I, I think uh, a lot of football fans out there probably agree that uh, very excited to have football back, but also some very interesting situations here locally. And a couple of teams, you know, Utah bringing back what they're bringing back, I think certainly has the potential to make a run at uh, a division championship at very least. And BYU a little bit more, you know, maybe more question marks. You know, how does the quarterback perform? How do they replace that NFL talent? But the schedule is awesome, and there's a lot of opportunity to to make some waves, certainly for BYU and Utah. So stay tuned. Greg Rubel, the voice of the Cougs, joins the show next. It is the big show. Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.